Well, we're going to come to a time now, we're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible there with you, if you would turn with me to our passage, Genesis chapter 37, beginning at verse 2. Again, we're beginning this new series through the summer months uh, on the life of Joseph entitled Meant for Good. Uh, so if you have a Bible, app, whatever it is, go to Genesis 37, beginning at verse 2. Follow along with me. Here we read this. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers when he was a boy with the sons of Bilnah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe with many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. Clearly Joseph doesn't get it. I uh, said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this saying in mind. Now, Joseph, in these next verses here, he's sent out sometime later to go and check on his brothers who are pastoring flocks up in Shechem. And they see him coming a long way off and come up with a plan to basically just say, you know what? You've had enough of this guy, had enough of this dreamer. Let's kill him, let's throw him in a pit, and we'll make up some story about how he was devoured by some wild animal. And as we see there at the end of verse 21, uh, they say, or sorry, at the end of verse 20, they say, we'll, we'll see what will become of his dreams. Now Reuben, the oldest brother, steps in to try to help. Verse 22, let's continue on. And Reuben said to them, wait a minute, shed no blood. Throw him into a pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. So he's wearing the robe as he comes to them. The robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with the camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his, his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us not, let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. <clears throat> yeah. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? And they took Joseph's robe and 
slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned for many days. That's God's word. Let me pray for us briefly, and then we'll dive into this passage together. Spirit of God, would you come now and illumine the preaching of your word? Open our ears, our minds, our, our hearts to what it is you want to show us. God, reveal your good plan, your, your good purpose to us, and then help us to be those who, who walk into what you show us, to be those, as you say, who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Accomplish the good purpose you have for us this morning in this passage, God. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Well, when recounting the betrayal, the arrest, the, the humiliation, and finally the crucifixion of Jesus in the book of Acts, the Apostle Peter famously gathers together all the events, that the people, the circumstances into one ball here, and all these circumstances involved in Jesus' death, and he reminds his fellow kingdom citizens that all these gathered together to do, quote, only what God, what his hand and his plan had predestined to take place. Awful things, it looked like a failure, it looked like Jesus had lost, and yet all these things happened. Only these people all came to do only what God's hand and plan had predestined to take place. Outside of the life of Jesus, however, I'm not aware of any other story in Scripture that so clearly demonstrates the sovereign purposes of God still at work, even in the, in the darkest, seemingly unexplainable circumstances of someone's life, than in the life and story of Joseph, recorded for us here in the last 14 chapters of Genesis. If you've never, if you've never heard the story of Joseph before, man, you're, you're going to be amazed at the way in which God sovereignly orchestrates all the different, uh, difficult, seemingly random events of Joseph's life into the place where he can stand before the people who committed the greatest evil against him and still say, do not fear, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And you know what, even if, even if you know Joseph's story well, my prayer is that in these next eight weeks spent revisiting this epic life of Joseph, it's still going to bring transformation, it's still going to bring life and light and fresh insight as we apply what we learn from Joseph's story into our lives today. But you know what the reality is, whatever your starting point, whether you are just first hearing it, you know the story well. There, 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 is, there is a relevance and something to teach all of us from this story. It connects with all of us at some level because if you've ever been betrayed by people who are closest to you, if you've ever had to work, do the hard work of, of overcoming patterns of family dysfunction in your life, if you've ever had to, uh, if you've ever been wrongfully accused or treated unjustly, if you've ever had to deal with forgiveness, just really wrestle with what does it mean to forgive someone and avoid the, the temptation to pursue vengeance. But you know what? If, if you've ever just looked at your life and wondered out loud, God, what in the world are you doing right now? 
then Joseph's story, it's your story too. It's your story too. And, and, and the first thing Joseph's story teaches us essentially is what Paul's statement in Romans 8, you know where he says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and be called according to his purpose. Joseph's story shows us what that truth looks like in real time. It shows us that truth being lived out, first of all. And yet alongside that, and maybe at a more general level, something else really beautiful was shown in the life of Joseph is the maturing process that he goes through. From a proud, entitled teenager into a wise, discerning leader over all the land of Egypt. With, and this is really cool, with each stage, hopefully represented, we could say, or marked out for us by four different coats. And as we watch Joseph transition from the coat of many colors to the coat of a servant, to the coat of a prisoner, to, to the royal robes of an Egyptian prince, I believe what we're also being shown, uh, along with the sovereign working of God through difficult, dark circumstances, we're being shown different landmarks, I think, as well, on the path to spiritual formation. And we'll dive deeper into all these questions of like divine sovereignty and human responsibility. We'll, we'll talk about like what, what is spiritual formation? Why is that so important in the life of a believer? We'll look at all those things as we go. But my hope is from that introduction to this series alone, hopefully you, you see like the story of Joseph touches all of us. It, it has something to speak to all of us. But here's my hope. Wherever else this story touches you individually. My prayer for all of us is that we'll all at least come out of this series at the end with both a greater understanding of, as well as appreciation for, the work of God in our lives. That's, that's my greatest hope. That, that, that although his plans for us, yeah, they often seem incomprehensible. They often, they, they don't happen the way we think uh, uh, the, our lives should go, that, that those are the best plans. They are always still meant for our good. And as we're introduced to the life of Joseph in our passage, if you look at verses 2 through 5 in particular here, uh, we're introduced to Joseph in what I'm going to call his beginner stage. Okay, His beginner stage of life, the, life, the, the, the stage of his life that's represented by this coat of, of many colors that we read about there at the second half of verse 3. Now, the beginner stage, that, that's an important stage for all of us that, that, that everyone needs to go through, regardless of whatever it is that you're beginning or trying to learn. Uh, maybe that's an instrument, maybe that's a sport, maybe that's just beginning, the, the, the first beginning stage of you being a follower of, of Jesus. Whatever it is, it's a stage every single one of us has to go through. But it's also like a, a frustrating and annoying stage to be a part of, and it's a stage we want to get through and move on as quickly as possible. Why? Well, because we're just, we're just bad at everything at the beginning stage, right? Like we don't, we don't have, you haven't developed any of the skills you need yet. You have no like life experience, hours of training you rely on. So, so everything just feels hard. Uh, uh, you, you, every, you're often feeling like you're never going to get there. Uh, you regularly feel like you want to give up. So we, we want to move through this stage as quickly as possible. But the reason you begin at all, as well as the thing that keeps you growing and learning and, and trying, is the hope that you won't always be a beginner, right? That, that, that's the hope that the day will come with enough training and effort and practice that, that what right now feels impossible, just feels too hard, like I'm never going to get it, will one day be effortless for you. 
That, that's, that's why we begin at, at anything. And yet the problem with the beginner stage, uh, beyond the, the frustration and annoyance of it, is that sometimes people get stuck there. People get stuck in the beginning stage and, and never move on. Like, like, if I can just give you an example, and I can use a piano analogy for a moment. This is the guy who, who whenever you're, you come anywhere where there's a piano, just feels like this inner compulsion to go over and want to play chopsticks. Just wants to do that. Or, or they want to do that one with the knuckles on the black keys. Every time they come to a piano, they want to play this, and they, they never take the time to learn literally anything else on the piano. This, this is, uh, th that's that guy, okay? And, 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 and so although clearly they enjoy playing the piano, they seem to really like it, they, they take an effort to do that every time they come to one, they, they, they develop this odd sense of completion, this odd sense of satisfaction from just playing the same beginner song over and over and over again. They never advance beyond that. And yet what basically all of us know is that the beginner stage, although it's necessary, although it's something that we all need to go through, is, is a stage that we're not supposed to stay at. It's a stage we're supposed to move on from. And as we come to our passage today here in Genesis 37, what we're being introduced to is Joseph, here as this 17-year-old youth who isn't just at the beginning stage. Well, he's stuck there. He, he's stuck there. And, and we'll get into some of the reasons of why uh, he's stuck there, as well as the process God initiates to begin moving him out of that stage. But, but, but the reason it's important for us to look at this today, particularly as it relates to spiritual formation, uh, and again, that term spiritual formation, just as we're going to continue to learn, spiritual formation just means uh, it describes maturing in our faith. That's what spiritual formation is. The reason this passage today and this part of Joseph's life is important for us to look at as it relates to spiritual formation is that, well, we too can get stuck at the beginner stage as well, and we can get stuck at the beginner stage of our faith. We can get stuck there and, and develop that same odd sense of satisfaction and contentment with a chopsticks-level maturity when what God desires for us to enjoy and experience as kingdom citizens is, is infinitely more than that. He's got so much more for us to enjoy and experience. But what he would desire for each one of us is that we would not stay stuck at the chopsticks level maturity, but develop a, a Chopin level maturity, develop a Beethoven, a, a Herbie Hancock, a Jacob Collier level maturity in our faith. And understanding that, that the call to greater maturity that God intends for us is something God intends and means for our good, and therefore something that we should all be seeking individually as well as corporately as a church. I want to look at our passage together today, just break it into two parts. I want to begin talking about being stuck at the beginning, and then we'll look at stripping off the many-colored coat. Okay, just those two things today. Stuck at the beginning, stripping off the many-colored coat. So if you've closed your Bible, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to our passage here? Genesis 37, starting at verse 2, follow along with me. As we look now at the first stage of Joseph's development that we have pictured for us here with the coat of many colors. The coat of many colors. Okay, so let's look first of all at being stuck at the beginning. Stuck at the beginning. So again, 
Just to clarify again, it's, it's not wrong to be at the beginning stage, right? It's a stage every, one of, every single one of us we need to go through. The problem is when we get stuck there and never progress beyond that stage. And while there might be all kinds of different reasons why you and I might get stuck there, when we come to verse 3 of our passage here, we see that for Joseph, his being stuck there is due in large part to a dysfunctional family system that he's grown up in. That, that, that's what seems to keep him stuck there. Now, we don't, we don't have time to cover all of this history that the, of, of Joseph's family, but very briefly, if you know the history of, Joseph, of Jacob, who is Joseph's father, you know that he grew up in a family where his older brother Esau was the, his father Isaac's favored chosen child, whereas he was the favored chosen child of his mother, Rebekah. And, and this favoring of one child over the other led to all kinds of, of dysfunction, all kinds of conflict and deception, even death threats. Okay, then, now fast forward to a few years later. Je, Joseph, Jacob is married to both Rachel and her sister Leah. We, we don't have time, just let's move on. It's, it's a different sermon. Uh, he's married to both uh, Rachel and her sister Leah, but Rachel, uh, she's, the, the, she's the wife that he really loves. He, he really treasures the most, which again, creates all kinds of conflict, all kinds of hurt and, and scheming and difficulty. But it's as though, it's as though J- Jacob just, even though he's seen the kind of devastation that this kind of dysfunctional family system creates, he's seen firsthand how much trouble this creates, he apparently has learned nothing from it. And he just continues to perpetuate the exact same dysfunction by favoring Joseph who was the firstborn child of Rachel, Rachel, who was his favorite wife. He continues to continue this dysfunction by favoring Joseph over all his other sons. And again, you look at the second half of verse 3, he's not even subtle about it. He's not even subtle. He distinguishes Joseph from all his other brothers by making him this, this multicolored coat, this, this coat of distinction that he wears, which he doesn't give to any of the other sons. Now, now yes, Absolutely. Joseph's going to do more than enough on his own. He's, he's got all kinds of ability on his own to create problems for himself. But it's important to note, at least, that his father, he sure doesn't do much, much to help Joseph get out of that stage. He sure doesn't do much to, to keep him from being stuck there. And in fact, by favoring him and coddling him in this way that he does all these years, ultimately, I think he works to keep him there. And now listen, I'm not here to solve the nature versus nurture debate for anyone here this morning. But what I am saying is clearly out of that place of favored privilege, that's where we see Joseph acting in these arrogant, entitled, dismissive ways. You see, you see that in his um, acting, uh, tattletailing on his brothers there at the end of verse 2, bringing this bad report to his father. You see it in his accepting the, the distinction and favoritism of his father. He doesn't push it away at all. He, he takes the coat, he wears it every chance he gets. We see later there, even wearing the coat out into the middle of nowhere, just totally putting himself in danger as he goes out to visit his brothers. He's wearing the coat with him. But I think where we see it most of all, especially, is in these dreams, which, which Joseph, he just, he just shares, well, well, he shares them a little bit too freely uh, with his brothers. Which isn't, that's not to say that those two dreams are, are things that Joseph made up. These dreams of where he's got the 11 sheaves bowing down to his, these dreams where the sun and the moon and 11 stars are, are bowing down to him. It doesn't mean he made these things up in order to just kind of goad people. But rather, what it just shows is Joseph, he's got no tact. He's got no humility. He's got no discernment in, in, in sharing those dreams whatsoever. 
And while I suppose, yeah, we, we could say that Joseph is just clueless. He's just the most socially oblivious person whatsoever. What's far more likely is that Joseph knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. Joseph is the, the favorite son. He's the golden child, and he knows it. And so he takes every, every opportunity he can to, to rub his brother's faces in it. I think that's ultimately what's going on. But hopefully, then, then you can see for yourself, this is exactly why, why Joseph is stuck at the beginner stage and has no plans anytime soon to move on from it. Because why would he need to? Why would he need to? He's got all the, the, the benefits and none of the challenges of life in this stage. He, he's allowed to continue unchallenged in his immaturity and his arrogance. Why would he need to move on from this stage? And yet the problem for Joseph, as well as for you and I today, is that when it comes to moving beyond the beginner stage, we'll never become all it is that God intended for us to become. We'll never grow and develop into the, the, the kind of mature kingdom citizens that God desires if we remain content wearing the coat of many colors, if we remain stuck in that beginner stage. And yet, here's the thing, one of the things, one of the key things we learn from all, the entire story of Joseph is this, God is passionately committed to the spiritual formation of his children. He is passionately committed to the spiritual formation of his children. So like, we, we quote verses all the time, like Philippians 1.6 in church circles, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it out until the completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. We, 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 we quote that verse, we love it, and yet think about this, something we can fail to realize is that that promise, that promise is only good news if spiritual formation if, if growth in Christian maturity is also our goal. Do you see that? So, so if your desire is to grow and mature, God's promise is, hey, I'm, I'm going to pour out every resource available to me in order to help you in that process, in order to support you, in order to aid you in that process. But on the other hand, if your desire is just to chill in the kiddie pool, if your desire is just to hang out in the beginner class as long as possible, if you're, if you're content to be a kingdom citizen, but I just want to continue to kind of live my life exactly the same way I was before Jesus saved me? Do you see how now God's promise to, to bring to completion the work that he began in you, that that might no longer be good news for you? Because, again, he is passionately committed to your spiritual formation. He's promised to bring to completion that work he started, and so he's, he's not going to let you stay there. As Tim Keller says it so well, this, I love this quote, God sees us as we are, he loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are, but by his grace, he does not leave us where we are. And that process of beginning his good work in us and, and, and bringing his good work then to completion in us, not leaving us where we are by his grace, it can look all kinds of different ways. It really can, but although we're shown a number of different stages here in the life and process of Joseph's maturity, as it relates to this stage here of Joseph getting unstuck from the beginner stage, what we see in this next section of our passage now is God's chosen means to accomplish this good work in Joseph's life. How? By stripping off the many-colored coats. Stripping off the many-colored coats. 
So, no, we didn't read the entire passage here, but again, Joseph is sent out to check on his brothers as they're leading the flocks out to pasture in Shechem. And, and, and they see him coming a long ways off, right? Which is, he's pretty hard to miss. He's wearing like a multicolored coat in the middle of the desert. So they see him coming from a long way off. And they see this moment now as an opportunity. An opportunity both to vent their hatred of Joseph as well as their hurt towards their father and all the ways that he favored Joseph over them in one fell swoop. They, they can do it all in one. Now, now Reuben, again, the, the oldest brother, intervenes, right? He intervenes with this plan to save Joseph's life and later restore him to his father. We, 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 we don't have time to get into all the dysfunction that's happening amongst each of the brothers as well, but suffice it to say, uh, well, Reuben's intentions with this plan to save Joseph, yeah, they're, they're mostly good, okay? They're, they're mostly good. So, so they, they listen to him rather than killing Joseph outright. The brothers, what do they do? They strip him of his coat. They strip this coat off, throw him into an empty cistern as well. And man, when you look at verse 25 there, and you see the way that after this action of like throwing their brother into an empty well, and then sitting down to eat lunch, with this just kind of callous, like, yeah, let's grab some lunch now, it really shows, the, the, that action alone shows the depth of, of hurt and hatred that they had towards their brother. I mean, they are just done with this kid, right? And yet, what we're being shown, although this is an awful, horrific betrayal by his brothers, these are the chosen means God is using in order to move Joseph along in the process. Why? Why, why couldn't he use some different means? Why couldn't he do something else? We're not told. What we see is God knows this is what Joseph needs because Joseph, in his state right now, he's never going to take off the robe himself. God knows where Joseph is stuck right now, he's never going to take off the robe and he's never going to progress. And so he needs to, to use these difficult, hurtful, harmful actions in order to move him on to the next stage. And man, I don't know about you, but in my own life, uh, this is absolutely my own testimony. I was stuck in that beginner stage for years and years of my life, stuck and, and quite content to continue on in that immaturity. And God had to do some really hard, difficult things in my life. Some beautiful things as well, but did some really hard, difficult circumstances that I needed to go through in order to move out of that stage, in order to get unstuck. So Joseph's story, I don't know about you, but I very much identify with Joseph's story. But just carrying on. Well, while Reuben is away, we don't know doing what. He's off for a moment. We're told there in verse 26 now that a caravan of Ishmaelite traders comes by and Judah, another brother, convinces the other brothers still present to sell Joseph into slavery uh, rather than, uh, instead of like, killing him or leaving him to die in the well, he says, why don't we sell him uh, with what can only be described as mock concern for their brother uh, as, as his, their own flesh and blood. I mean, he's like, oh, you know, let's not kill him. Let's, uh, let's sell him into slavery instead. I don't know how you justify that as, as caring for your brother just because you didn't kill him. It's selling him into slavery. But this is the plan, and, and his brothers listen to him. His brothers listen to him, and before Reuben can return, we're told in verse 28, Joseph is carried away to Egypt. He's carried off, sold into slavery by his own brothers. Just, just think about that. Well, then with no... Further recourse available, the brothers cover their tracks or try to by taking Joseph's torn robe. They dip it in blood. They send it back to their father, allowing him to come to his own conclusions, which they do, which, which Jacob does. And the story of Joseph, at least as far as we can see from this point on, like it's, it's over, right? Like that's it. Now, 
Again, if you know more of, of the fullness of jo Joseph's story, we know that his story is far from over. But again, uh, as far as Jacob can see, as far as uh, Joseph's brothers can see, and, and I'd say probably as far as Joseph can see at this point as well, Joseph's story, as well as any hope of these dreams that he had coming to fulfillment, is done. It, it, it's all done now. Now, probably noticed, or maybe you didn't, we, we, haven't, we haven't actually heard a whole lot from Joseph since back in verse 13 when his father first sent him to go check on his brothers. He's kind of gone, gone dark. We, we don't hear anything of what he's had to say in the midst of this. Uh, we, we learn later in chapter 42 that Joseph was, was begging, was, was pleading with his brothers uh, from the time that they grabbed him, from the time that he's in the well, from the time that they sold him. He's begging, pleading with his brothers for his life as they just kind of sit down for lunch. Uh, but, but we don't see that here. We're, we're not told what he says here. We don't hear anything from him. And yet I think we can all probably, it's probably not hard for any of us to imagine the depth of devastation, the depth of feeling, depth of feeling abandoned, the depth of trauma that, that Joseph is, must be experiencing in this moment now as he's pulled behind this caravan bound for Egypt with nothing to do for miles and miles and miles reflect, to sit in his thoughts, to process everything that just happened, to think through the ideas of like, hey, no, I'm not. it's not as though him and his brothers are the closest of friends, but how could his brothers actually carry through with this? Like, I don't know if you've had siblings or not, but we say some pretty, like, harmful, hurtful things of what we want to do to each other, but most of us don't carry out those things. He's wrestling with the, how could they actually carry, carry through with this? How could they actually sell me into slavery? And then thinking that, like, actually, wait a minute, their plan actually before selling me, they actually planned to kill me. That's what they were going to do. That I really treat them so badly over the years that they felt justified in killing me. And then what about God? Where was God in all this? I mean, Joseph, he, he, he must have been Praying down in the well, right? Praying as these things that are happening. Crying out to God to, to rescue him, to, to get him out of that pit, to, to save him from his brother's murderous plan. Why hadn't God heard his prayers? Why hadn't God helped him and come to his aid in this time of his most desperate needs? And as you think back over the course of your own life, things that you have walked through, I wonder how many of you would say you've asked some of those exact same questions yourself. I know I have. Asked questions like that about people that you trusted who betrayed you or abandoned you or let you down in really hard, horrific ways. You've asked them of God. You've asked those questions of Him in His apparent absence at your moment of greatest need. God, where were you? Why weren't you present in that moment for me? And yet, this is one of the, the again, great, uh, encouraging, beautiful things about the story of Joseph when we look and consider all the future events of Joseph's life, as well as the infinitely greater salvation Joseph experiences, not only for himself, but for the future of the entire nation of Israel, we begin to understand, as Keller again says so well, quote, if Joseph had been saved from the thing he wanted to be saved from, he would have been lost in a more profound way later on. He goes on, he had to actually be lost to be saved. An action 
That is not at all disconnected from what we see thousands of years later with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prays, "What? take this cup from me. But we know if God had answered that prayer, if God had been faithful and said, yes, let me rescue you from this moment of drinking this cup, for all of us, the opportunity for all of our salvation would have been lost. So in the same way that Joseph had to be lost in order to save his people later on, Jesus had to be lost in order to accomplish the greater salvation for the sins of the world. Which hopefully, hopefully as it relates to some of the painful, traumatic events you may have had to walk through in the past, or maybe that you're walking through right now, this brings at least some comfort, some, some insight into the mysterious purposes of God, as well as what seemed like his absence in your greatest time of need, that maybe there's more going on than you could see or that you are seeing right now. Now, no, none of us, here's the thing, no, none of us are promised an explanation. We're not. Sometimes we may be given foresight to see what God is accomplishing through our lives in the moment, but, but very often, for the most part, if we're shown at all, we only, it's only in hindsight that we can trace the good purposes of God through what in the moment seemed just painful and incomprehensible to us. Very often it's only hindsight, if we're shown at all. But as it relates to the life of Joseph, although, yes, the means, they, they were painful, they were difficult to endure, what we see is that the ultimately good result for him at this stage of being stuck is that he is. He is stripped of that robe, right? He's stripped of the robe, both of the physical coat as well as all that that coat represented for him. As God led Joseph from being stuck in that beginner stage and moved him on into the next stage of his formation. God does accomplish the good work that he began in Joseph. And listen, no, don't. I don't want anyone to hear this wrong. This, this passage is not meant to be a warning, a warning passage for us in the sense like if, if you're a big, at the beginner stage of your faith right now, this is not the Bible warning you, hey, don't get stuck there or God's going to like inspire your family to want to like try to put you to death or throw you in a pit or sell you into slavery. Like, no, okay, that's, that's not what's happening. What we're seeing in Genesis 37 is the means God knew that he needed to accomplish in Joseph's life in particular in order to accomplish and complete the good work that he had begun in him, which although, yes, deeply painful for him, and at times, yeah, it is painful for us as well. There's, there's all kinds of good ways that God works as well, but sometimes deeply painful ways, all these ways are ultimately really only the cuts of a faithful surgeon. That's, that's really ultimately what they are. The cuts of a faithful surgeon who is wounding in order to heal. point of what we're seeing today in the life of Joseph is, as I said earlier, that God will, he will be faithful to complete the good work that he began in you and in me and in every one of his kingdom citizens. Again, this passage is not a warning, it's a testimony to the faithfulness of God to that promise he made to bring to completion the good work he began in you, and it's a, it's a process that's meant for your good and for my good. But in light of that, in light of that Reality, the, the, the question that I think every single one of us needs to be able to answer this morning for ourselves is this. Okay, so if, if the stated purpose of God in his word is that he, he, his desire is to complete the good work that he began in us, that's his stated purpose in each one of his kingdom citizens, okay, am I working alongside God in that purpose or am I resisting? Am I resisting that purpose 
remaining stuck in whatever stage of growth that I'm at? Am I working alongside him? Like, 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 like am I personally seeking God in the daily decisions of life and struggles? Am, am, I, am I hungering and thirsting for righteousness in every way that I know how to? Am I submitting myself to God's leading instruction? Like, am I working alongside him in that purpose? Or am I resisting it? Am I resisting it? Am I, am I stuck at the beginning, content with a Sunday morning only pursuit of Jesus and no desire whatsoever to develop anything more than a chopsticks level maturity in my faith? Which one is it? And then I suppose, I guess, along with it, like a follow-up question to that that I want to ask you. If, if your answer was, yeah, no, I think I am. I think I am stuck at the beginner stage right now. Is I'd want to ask you, what is it that's keeping you there? Like, what's, what's keeping you stuck at that stage? I mean, this would be a great opportunity right now to just stop and pause and really just think through the answer to that question. What is it? What are those things? Because as I said when we began, there's nothing wrong with the beginner stage. It's good. We all need to go through it. It's an essential part of the process. But the reason we begin at all is not so that we could always remain at the beginner stage. Right? right? Like, none of us began knowing how to walk or, or read or, or, or use pick up a fork and use it to feed ourselves. We, we didn't begin that way, and that's okay. But eight years later, if you're going into grade three and you still can't do any of those things, most people would agree that there's some sort of a developmental issue that needs to be dealt with there. There's something going on there. And what I'm saying is, why then do we do, don't we make that exact same assessment when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our spiritual maturity? If we're still stuck, unable to do any of those basic things or anything more than those basic things, Years later, why do we not see a developmental issue there? That's what I'm asking. Really, really look into your life right now and discern what are the things, what, what, what are the circumstances, what's going on in my life right now that's hindering me? What is it that's leading me to resist the purposes of God right now in my life? What is it that's, what is it that's keeping me stuck here? Because I'll let you in a little secret. And it's actually not a secret at all. Discerning the answer to that question, what is it that's keeping me stuck and then addressing those things? That is, in the most simplest description, that's a description of what spiritual formation is. That's what it looks like. Pressing deeper into my relationship with God by constantly seeking to, to root out, to, to cut away, to, to let go of everything that's keeping me, that, that, that's getting in the way of deepening faith. That's getting in the way of deep, deeper trust. That's keeping me stuck at the beginning. Discerning those things, cutting them away, getting rid of them, letting go of them. That's what spiritual formation is. Uh, it, it was said, somebody once asked Michelangelo uh, uh, how he was able to take a massive lump of marble and carve it into his famous statue of David. They just like, how are you able to do that? And his response was very simply, I simply take away all the parts that don't look like David. Now, okay, easy for you to say, but listen, that's what spiritual formation is. Namely, the work of God in the hearts and minds of every kingdom citizen, whereby he works in us by his spirit and with our cooperation, our working alongside him to take away all the parts of our lives that don't look like Jesus. That's the exact same process of what spiritual formation is. Jesus, Jesus who himself was the beloved son of his father. 
who came unto his brothers, was rejected, was sold for pieces of silver, and wasn't just threatened with death, who truly suffered death in order to accomplish the salvation of many. To conform our lives daily more and more to look like him, to bring us to full maturity. And that, as I've said, we're, we're only seeing the beginning stage here, but this is one of the true gifts for us of having the life of Joseph for us in the Bible, recorded for us, because ultimately it pictures for us. This, this pictures for us what spiritual formation looks like as God leads us from the beginning stage all the way to fully formed maturity in Christ. So this is only the beginning stage, a coat of many colors. Man, there, there's so much more for us to learn from the life of Joseph. I'm so excited in the coming weeks to show you and, and, and to learn alongside you as we look at this together. I want to give us a closing benediction and then we'll be dismissed to the closing song and whatever else this day holds for you. Hear the words of Peter. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in the grace and the peace of Christ.